travel around the world. And people point this out to him and say, well, wow, you look like you have a really great life. But inside, Dimitri wasn't happy. He was stressed out and he was sad. And he didn't know why. He knew he had great things in his life. He knew he had people in his life that loved him. He knew he had great circumstances. But he still wasn't happy. So he came up with this idea to fix it. He came up with this idea. He called it 100 Happy Days Challenge. He wanted to, for 100 days, document one thing every single day that made him happy. And as Dimitri went on this journey to find happiness, as soon as he started running, he became like Forrest Gump. And thousands of other people began running with him. And he was searching for happiness, and he came up with this way how to do it. And as he started doing this, other people, uh, they took to social media to do it as well, to document their happiness. And you can still look up on Instagram today, there are so many pictures of people putting up the one thing that makes them happy that day. Day number two, a McCafe coffee. Day number 13, sitting by the pool on a hot summer day. Day number 27, a chocolate ice cream bar. Day number 38, yoga at the park. Day number 52, I finished a jigsaw puzzle. Day number 68, I got to take a long walk with my friends. And so on and so forth until day 100. And when Dimitri finished this challenge, he said it was like he had a new set of lenses on life. Instead of focusing on the negative, he focused on the positive, and he said overall that made him more happy. And thousands of other people who completed this challenge would agree as well. So are you on this journey to find happiness? Are you like Dimitri and the thousands of others out there searching for joy and happiness in life? I'm sure you are. Because who wouldn't want to be happier? Who wouldn't want to have more happiness in your life? Wouldn't you like to focus on the positive instead of the negative? Wouldn't you like to see the beauty in your own life instead of being constantly stressed out? Are you on this happiness journey? Even though I know uh, so many of us are looking for happiness, even though we might not do this happiness challenge, uh, this happiness challenge operates under a formula like this. If I get blank, then I will be happy. That's how so many of us try and find happiness. If I get blank, then I'll be happy. So my question for you is, what's in that blank? If I get a good job, then I'll be happy. If I get in shape, then I'll be happy. If I get a girlfriend, then I'll be happy. If I make more money, then I'll be happy. If I get that new house with the nice hardwood floors and the stainless steel appliances, then I'll be happy. What's in that blank? What's that one thing you tell yourself that if I got it, then I would finally be happy? But there's a problem with this formula. I think you can tell already. Because if you get that one thing, then you'll be happy. But what happens when you don't get it? What happens when you don't get that new job Instead, you have to look for a different career path. What happens when your girlfriend breaks up with you? It's nice if you have a McCafe coffee, but what if you wake up in the morning and there's no McCafe coffee? How can you be happy even when the circumstances don't line up? 
Can the homeless person ever be happy? Can a man in prison ever be happy? Can a woman in an abusive relationship ever be happy? Is it possible to have joy even when your life on the outside doesn't look like it should be good circumstances? Well, that's why we need to talk about joy. A joy that is different than happiness. A joy that isn't based on outward circumstances. A joy that can fill you up not just for a hundred days, but for thousands of years to come. The joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. A joy that no one can take away from you. A joy that can give you hope and peace even on your worst days. So throughout the series of Philippians, we are going to be working on finding joy. For the next eight weeks of our, of our time at church, we are going to be looking at uh, aspects of our lives that normally are hard to maintain joy. We're going to look at eight different areas where it's easy for you to have your joy be robbed. And we're going to apply the gospel to those areas. And uh, my prayer is that it will fill you with so much joy. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of finding joy in loneliness. Finding joy in loneliness. So let's begin with Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear the joy in Paul's voice as he writes this letter? Because so many of his letters, uh, he has to write to a church because there's some type of sin that he needs to address in that congregation, and he tells them, hey, knock it off. But in the beginning of this letter, he's full of joy. He talks about his affection that he has for those churches. He talks about how wonderful it is to have great partners in the gospel that helps share Jesus as well. He has joy for these people in his life. Now, how is this possible? How does he have such a strong community? Do you have that type of strong community in your life? Do you have those deep, meaningful relationships? Or instead, do you struggle with the internal feelings of loneliness? If you do, I'm sure you're not alone. Now, there's a book out there uh, called Bowling Alone. It's a book written by a Harvard professor who traces the last 25 years and looks at, in the last 25 years, the decline of relationships and friendships. And uh, here are a couple statistics that he came up with. That in the last 25 years, playing cards together is down 25%. Playing cards, you know, it's, it's usually not so much about the actual card game. It's usually more about just gathering together and enjoying time with one another. Well, that's down 25%. Uh, the evening with neighbors is down 33%. Uh, maybe 25 years ago, you can remember the good old days, rub on Sander porches, drank lemonade, and talked with all your neighbors. Um, but now it kind of seems like the norm is to just uh, drive into your garage, shut the garage door, and not talk to anyone else until you have to go to work the next day. Uh, Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, but do you know your neighbors' names? I don't. I live in an apartment a couple people I say hi to, but I don't know any of my neighbors. I think that's becoming more and more of the norm. Uh, I have a friend over is down 45%. Um, I know we can all probably think of some names of some friends that we have in our life. When's the last time you actually hung out with them? When's the last time you actually spent meaningful time together? Having friends over to your own house is down 45%. And uh, family dinners are down 33%. You know, I think we live in 
such a rush-rush society where instead of taking the time to sit down and have a meal together, uh, we order fast food and we rush off to soccer practice, we rush off to the next event instead of having deep, meaningful uh, connections with our family. Have you felt the strain in your relationships? Has this societal shift uh, been tough on your family, on your friendships? Has it strained your relationship with your neighbors? I'm sure it could. I'm sure it's possible to uh, have, uh, feel, have struggles with feelings of loneliness in this world, even though you have a thousand social media friends and you don't even feel alone. Because we certainly know it's possible to feel uh, alone, even if you're in a crowded room. And I'm sure all the societal shift of moving away from having uh, get-togethers and meeting up with one another um, can hurt our relationships. But there's a deeper reason for this. There's a deeper reason why our relationships are strained. The reason we experience loneliness is because sin separates. If you've ever felt loneliness in this world, it's not because you're not playing cards enough with your friends. If you've ever felt loneliness in your relationships, it's not because uh, we don't spend enough time with our neighbors anymore. The real reason why we experience loneliness is because sin separates us. It separates us from our relationship with God. That's what sin first did when Adam and Eve sinned. It separated us from our relationship with the Lord. And since we no longer have a perfect relationship with the Lord, that's going to affect your relationship with other people as well. Since we have sin in our hearts, that's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your friendships. It's going to affect your relationships that you have at work. It's going to be the deeper reason for why uh, we experience loneliness in this world. is because each one of us has sin in our hearts. And sin has a way of damaging relationships with one another. But now let's look again at the Apostle Paul. Let's see what he has to say to his Philippian church. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am ashamed or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So we just talked about how it's possible to feel alone in a crowded room. Well, where Paul's writing this from is a jail cell. So he is alone, and he is still full of so much joy of having deep connections in his life. How is that possible? He writes to them, saying he has affection for them in Christ Jesus. You notice how he doesn't write, Hey, thanks so much for visiting me, guys. Sure is nice. Thanks for all those visits. He doesn't try and guilt trip them. He doesn't complain about being lonely. Instead, he talks about how much he loves this congregation, how much he loves this church even though he most likely hasn't seen them in years. So how is that possible? How do you have that type of connection? Well, we just read in our second lesson about how the time the Apostle Paul visited the church in Philippi, how he went and he made gospel connections with people in that city. And I'm going to talk to you about three types of gospel connections that he made in that city. Uh, the first one that he made was with a businesswoman. Uh, her name was Lydia. Her name was Lydia. And Philippi is kind of like a metropolitan area, and Lydia was described as a purple cloth dealer, meaning she sold the most expensive types of clothes there were. So maybe if you want to picture Lydia today, she might be the type of person that lives in you know, downtown New York, L.A., and works at a Gucci or Prada shop. That's the type of woman we're talking about, a successful businesswoman. And Paul finds her leading a Tuesday morning women's Bible study. She knew her praying with a bunch of other women, 
and these were believers, but they clearly didn't understand the whole picture yet. So Paul preached to them, and the message worked in their hearts. They believed that Jesus was their Savior, so Paul baptized them that very day. And Lydia was so moved by this message, she wanted to show hospitality to the Apostle Paul. She said, come over to my house. And he's like, no, 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 we're good. And like, no, I insist, come over to my house. And she showed hospitality towards him. Look at this connection that Paul made with a successful businesswoman. And uh, about a week later, Paul ran into someone else. He ran into the slave girl. And everybody knew that there was just something off with this little girl. Later we find out in the Bible it says that she was possessed by a demon. And her parents, uh, they used this girl who was possessed by a demon to tell the future, uh, to tell fortunes, so that they could make money off their little girl. Uh, but eventually, uh, Paul had enough of this. Paul saw the pain in her heart, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get out of her. And he cast the demon out of her. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power that Paul had. And he healed her. But, even though he healed her, and everyone in this room would say, that was a good thing to do, uh, the crowd was upset. They were upset that Paul healed her, uh, because now the parents couldn't make money off her anymore. So they riled everyone up, and they grabbed Paul, and they threw him in prison. And in prison is where Paul made his third gospel connection. He met Blue Collar Bill. That's what I'm going to call him. So this was Blue Collar Bill was a, probably an ex-soldier. There were many ex-soldiers living in uh, Philippi. And he was the type of guy that wore a camouflage hat, wore some Levi's. You can see like the circle of a tin of uh, chewing tobacco in his pocket. He wore, uh, you know, steel-toed boots. He didn't care that much about religion. He concerned, was concerned more about, uh, you know, finishing up his shift and getting home, watching the game. He was that type of guy. But all that changed when God sent an earthquake. Paul was God's servant, and God wanted to free Paul from prison. So God sent an earthquake, and Paul just walked out of prison. But that was bad news for Blue Power Bill. Because when his boss would find out that a prisoner escaped, that meant off of his head. So instead of going through that humiliation, he decided to take his life into his own hands, and he was going to stab himself with a sword. But that's when Paul called out, stop, 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 what are you doing? And Blue Collar Bill said, how can I be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And just like that, faith was worked in Blue Collar Bill's heart. And he went home, and he and his whole household believed in Jesus, and they were baptized. Look at these types of connections that Paul is making. He made a connection with a wealthy businesswoman and fashionista. He helped out a hurting poor little girl. And he made a connection with a blue power worker as well. Which leads to uh, one of our next points. That the gospel brings you into a new family. The gospel brings you into a new family. The gospel is for all people. It's for the wealthy and the poor. It's for uh, fancy business women and for blue-collar workers and for hurting children. That's the lesson that we learned from when Paul was in Philippi, that the gospel is for all people. And he made these gospel connections, and he carried around with them in his heart. And now, 10 to 15 years later, uh, he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And since he made this, these connections, since he's now part of this uh, family of the gospel with these people, He's concerned about his 
the people of Philippi. What happened in those kind of days? How has Lydia still shown hospitality to other people? Is she still sharing the message of Jesus to other people? And what about that little girl? She must be grown up by now. Did she turn around all right? Is she married? Does she have a family? And what about the blue-collar bill? Is he still rough around the edges, or has the gospel continued to, to shape his heart? Paul thought so much about these people because his gospel connections brought him to a new family. And the same is true for you and me. Now, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are part of a family. And there are many people in this church, and I don't know, I'm feeling that there are some people in this church that you just like instantly connect with. You're like have similar stages of life, you know, maybe you both have children, maybe you're both a young couple, maybe you're both retired, whatever it is. Like just people who you naturally gravitate towards friends and have friends like that. But I also have a feeling that there are probably people in this church that you talk to who if it wasn't for church, you probably would never talk to them. You're in different stages of life for different cultural backgrounds, whatever it may be. But how beautiful is that? That just because you have a connection that you both believe in Jesus Christ, you now understand that you are in a relationship with one another because you are part of the same family that the gospel brings you into. How beautiful is that? And as we continue to work on those gospel relationships, we understand that that is a bond that is so much deeper than any other bond. It is a bond that goes beyond proximity. Because Paul was in the jail cell and the Philippian church was in Philippi, and they were miles away from one another, but they still had that connection because they both understood that the gospel was working in their hearts. It was true reminds me of what Jesus said. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Somebody walked up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they want to talk to you. And Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? The guy that asked him, he's like, What's going on? Your, your mother and your brothers. But then Jesus said, he pointed at his disciples and said, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my mother and sister and my brothers. The gospel makes you part of such a deep family connection. So whether you have deep relationships and friendships in this world or not, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are automatically part of a family with such a close connection because you believe in Jesus Christ. And that bond will be eternal. Jesus says you are part of a new family because of that. And that is the cure to our loneliness. The cure to our loneliness is gospel-based partnerships. Gospel-based partnerships. Because when you choose your friends, it's easy to pick people who are similar to you. You might kind of look similar, you might kind of wear the same clothes, you might be part of the same hobbies and activities and have the same interests. That's usually how we pick our friendships. But when you see life through the gospel, that changes everything. You are willing to make a gospel-based connection with literally everyone. For those that don't know about Jesus, absolutely, you want to try and make a connection with that person so you can talk about Jesus with them. And for those in the church who believe the same thing that you do, you want to grow closer to them. Because you know that that bond is for eternal life. You want to help become partners with them so that you can help build them up so that they can share the gospel better to those in their life that don't know it as well. That is the cure to our loneliness, knowing that we are part of a deeper family. That even if at times, because of sin in this world, you feel strained in your relationships, you know you are part of something so much bigger. You are part of the family of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And what Jesus did for us was that Jesus experienced loneliness for you. 
Jesus went through the pain of loneliness for you and me. Because for 40 days, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be alone, to be tempted with Satan. And several times throughout Jesus' ministry, he went alone to the side of the mountain so that he could regroup and pray. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of his closest relationships, Judas, ended up betraying him. And he stood on trial alone. And he died on the cross alone. And even God the Father abandoned him. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, Jesus was no longer feeling the love of the Lord. Instead, he was going through hell to pay for our sins. But Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted. Jesus went through loneliness so you could have a relationship. Jesus was abandoned by God the Father so that you could be part of God's family. That's what Jesus did for us. That's why Jesus went through that loneliness so we could be part of a deeper relationship. And that's where true joy comes from. True joy comes from knowing the Lord and knowing what Jesus has done for you because no one can take that away from you. No one can take that message away from you that you are God's own child and that your sins are forgiven. So on your good days, that message makes your days so much better. And even when life is really hard and you have dark days, that message still gives you hope because you know that nothing can take the message of Jesus away from you. So there are a lot of people out there that are looking for happiness. And I don't want to downplay the power of positive thinking and pointing out the good things that you have in your life. I think there's power in that. But my question to that always is, well, what happens when the chocolate bar goes away? What happens when you don't get the nice coffee? What happens when you're so stressed out that you don't have time to do yoga at the park or take long walks on the beach? What happens when your finances are so bad that you can't take the nice vacation? What happens when your friends abandon you and you lose your job and life becomes really hard? Pointing out a good thing in your life can't fix that problem. But finding joy in the Lord, that's something that no one can take away from you. That's something that helps you cope with all your problems. That helps you deal with everything that's going on in this life. And that gives you joy. So that's what we're going to be talking about in the next eight weeks. We're going to be talking about finding joy. And I know what you're thinking. If you saw my life, you would understand why I struggled to have joy. If you knew the things that I was going through, you knew it would be so hard to have joy in my life. And from my response to that, I would say, keep coming. Come back next week. Hear about how the gospel message applies to that area of your life. Continue to hear about how Jesus died for you, how he brought you into a new family, how you have connections with other people. Because instead of a hundred days of pointing out that nice piece of food that you had or whatever vacation you went on, what if instead for a hundred days we pointed out what the Lord did for us? What if you started your day in God's word and read one thing that the Lord did for you? Day number one, Jesus died for me. Day number two, Jesus gave me life. Day number three, Jesus has a hope for me in heaven. Day number 145, Jesus still died for me and he still loves me. What if you started every single day with that mindset? That's a joy that I'm talking about. That's the joy that no one can take away. It's a joy that's not based on circumstances. It's a joy that connects us to other people. It's the joy of knowing the Lord. We do this all in Jesus' name. Please stand.